Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes in our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. believe this you guys throw me at the wolves and now you want me to go back out there forget it it's not my problem can i finish no there's no way ripley you wouldn't be going in with the troops i can guarantee your safety these colonial marines are very tough hombres they're packing state-of-the-art firepower there's nothing they can't handle lieutenant am i right that's true. We've been trained to deal with situations like this. <laughs> then you don't need me. I'm not a soldier. Yeah, but we don't know exactly what's going on out there. It may just be a down transmitter, okay? But if it's not, I would like you there as an advisor. And that's all. What's your interest in all this? Why are you going? Corporation co-financed that colony along with colonial administration. We're getting into a lot of terraforming now and building better worlds. Yeah, yeah, I saw the commercial. Look, I don't have time for this. I've got to get to work. All right. I heard you're working in the cargo docks. That's right. Running loaders and forklifts, that sort of thing? so? Nothing. I think it's great that you're keeping busy. And I, I know it's the only thing that you could get. There's nothing wrong with it. What would you say if I told you I could get you reinstated as a flight officer? The company has already agreed to pick up your contract. If I go. Yeah, if you go. Come on, that's a second chance, kiddo. And I think personally for you, it would be the best thing in the world to get out there and face this thing. Get back on the horse. Spare me, Burke. I've had my psych evaluation this month. Yeah, I know. I've read it. You wake up every night, your sheets are soaking with sweat. I said no, and I mean it. Now, please leave. I am not going back, and I am—I would not be any good to you if I did. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. 
From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. In 1986, young and -and up-and-coming writer-director James Cameron took the tall task of tackling a sequel to director Ridley Scott's space thriller Alien. With returning cast member Sigourney Weaver, he not only moved the story forward, he exceeded all expectations with a bona fide box office hit, as well as an award-winning and groundbreaking classic we know simply as Aliens. All right, so that's the movie we're going to talk about this week. We're talking about Aliens, the sequel to Alien, which is going to be fun for this whole podcast to make sure I distinguish between Alien and Aliens, so I have to pronounce my S's. But joining me this week, once again, one of our favorite, one of my favorite uh, co-hosts, hopefully yours too, yours too, uh, Mr. Laramie Wells. Welcome, Laramie. How you doing? I am good. Uh... I wanted to come up with a line from the movie to say, but I can't think of one right now. As, as quotable as this movie is. Right, right. It is quite quotable. Uh, but I'm like you. I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden uh, on a good on a good not, quote. It's not time yet to say game over. And... <laughs> right. Let's go bug hunting. I think I think he says at one point it's not bug hunting or something like that. So, But we'll we'll get into all that fun stuff. So... Aliens from 1986. It's a sequel to the 1979 film Aliens. Originally, the first movie was directed by uh, Ridley Scott, and this one was directed by James Cameron. We'll get into all that fun stuff, but uh, we'll get the preliminaries out of the way. When did you see Aliens with an S for the first time? I honestly don't remember. I really don't. Uh, I know, and this kind of seems to be something I say every time you have me on, I know I probably saw it on television, right. on television edit the right. first time. Uh, I don't think I actually saw it uncut until probably within the last 10, 12 years. Okay. Was when I, I finally probably sat down and watched an uncut, you know, the official R-rated right. version of the movie. Right. Now we'll get into this a little later. Have you seen the extended cut version as well? Uh, I don't think I have, uh, when I actually put in my Mm Blu-ray, uh, I had the choice and I, I figured you would want to talk about the theatrical (laughs) version. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that one. I I rewatched the theatrical version. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm kind of like you. I I, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I I do know though about the like daughter storyline. Right. Right. That takes place in the, in the extended cut. Um, but, but other than that, I don't know what much difference there is in the extended cut. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, we'll get into that, uh, a little later, but, uh, I'm kind of like you. I, I, I thought I remembered seeing this for the first time. And then as I started watching it, I was like, wait a minute. I think I'm getting my years mixed up because like this came out in 86 and thinking about how old I was, I wasn't living at the place where I thought I saw, saw it. So it's like, I must've seen the first alien, alien, uh, when I was younger, which I'm like, which would totally would have scared the living crap out oh, of yeah. me, I'm sure, at the age I'm thinking of. 
Um, so, but I know I saw this one and I must have seen it either on cable or I saw it, I'd rented it on VHS and watched it knowing that I had seen the first one. So, because there were a few scenes that were so iconic that I I remember those, I remember seeing those scenes for the first time, but for some reason my brain took me like 10 years earlier <laughs> in a different location. So, uh, having to go back, I haven't gone back and watched Alien before watching Alien, so I don't remember much about the first one to how that all got jumbled up in my, in my brain, so... Oh, they're definitely um, two completely different uh, feels of movies. Right. Because the first one, definitely a horror movie. And then this one's got more of that just uh, 80s, especially James Cameron. Yeah. There's so much of this movie I watched, and I was like, this is very reminiscent of Terminator. Yes. Yeah, I had the same. There were certain scenes. I was like, this is very Terminator-like. Like, Like, I've seen Terminator way, way more than I've seen Aliens. So I definitely saw that influence. And and even, you know, more recently with Avatar, uh, there were some certain things that were Avatar-ish for me. So once again, it definitely has James Cameron's, you know, style and stamp on it. So uh, so when was the last time you watched it before watching it for this podcast? Uh, again, it's probably been... It's probably that first time I watched it uncut. Gotcha. Uh, so it's probably been 10 plus years. Right. Yeah. It It's definitely been a long time since I'd seen it. I mean, I probably caught bits and pieces maybe on TV or maybe on cable, but I had not watched it all the way through. But I, I can't really say I'm like the biggest fan of this movie. It's not one that was like, you know... Oh, I love the alien movies. They're you know the greatest things yeah. ever. I mean, I I appreciate them and I enjoyed watching it again. But it's not one of those that I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I'm kind of bored tonight. What what franchise do I want to start from the beginning and watch again? Oh, I want to watch Alien. It's not you know it's yeah. not in that list of of kind of movies, but uh, but definitely still an enjoyable watch. And uh, it was good to kind of watch it again with kind of fresh eyes because, like I said, there were certain very iconic scenes emblazoned in my memory, but there was a lot of it. I was just like. Almost like watching again for the first time, which, you know, says a lot about a movie that can, you know, keep you guessing even when you've seen it before. So, mm. all right, so let's jump right into the uh, pre-production, which is a little different for, like I said in the in the mini episode last week. This is the first sequel we've actually talked about on the uh, '80s flick flashback podcast. Um, oh. You know, and. The first sequel, we have not talked about the original because the original came out in 79. But uh, in doing some of the uh, brackets and, you know, talking about, you know, fun 80s movies in the Facebook group, this one seems to have a lot of love in our groups. So it's like, well, you know, this is a good one to pull out and, and rewatch and talk about. So um, so we'll jump a little bit into the pre-production and development. So uh, Brandywine Productions were intent on immediately making a sequel to Alien uh, when it released in 1979, having the full support of 20th Century Fox president Alan Ladd Jr. However, that year, Ladd left uh, amid Fox's transition to new owners, and the new studio management had no interest in the sequel. But in 1983, Fox had new executives that were finally interested in continu- continuing the Alien franchise. Uh, Actually, when asked about the possibility of a sequel to Alien, director Ridley Scott stated that he saw a lot of potential in exploring the origins of the Alien, which he saw as maybe one of the last descendants of some long-lost, self-destructed group of beings. 
Scott added that in many respects, this sequel will be more interesting than the first movie from a pure science fiction standpoint. In the end, Scott was never approached to do a sequel. At the time, Scott said, it hurt my feelings really because I thought I, we did quite a good job on the first one. So uh, I guess you, you've probably seen Alien a little bit more frequent, more frequent, more recently than I have. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about the varying director styles between Ridley Scott and James Cameron? Well, I mean, James Cameron did, uh, you know, he, he did respect what Scott had created. Right. But, uh, you know, Ridley Scott took a horror movie and gave it this, you know, science fiction feel, and he created a complete story. That's why it was so, uh, so special about the way that James Cameron was able to continue the story. Okay. Because at the end of Alien, the way that Ridley Scott ends it, you're you're content. You're right. thinking she's won. She's uh, gonna get rescued. She's gonna get back to uh, Earth. Um, and, and you're, you're happy. You're, you're fine with the ending. It's not like a a typical horror movie that has that, you know, final little scare, like (laughs) to be continued. Right. Right. Uh, the killer's still alive or anything like that. Um, and what was so great about the first one was that it was, you know, I mean, essentially they were like truck drivers. Okay. You know, they were just labor laborers. Right, right. Who were you know sent to you know really kind of salvage this um, ship on the planet, and and then just there was so much depth to Scott's writing and to his characters. You know, you mentioned about uh, seeing things in Alien. Just about every time I have watched it, I do think I've watched Alien more than I've watched Aliens. Okay. Um, but every time you watch Alien, there's something you didn't notice the first time. Okay. Whereas Cameron, he was still such a new director. Right, right. And he was he was still figuring out his style that a lot of it is just kind of one note. Um, gotcha. The Marines aren't as... You know, there's not as much depth to them right, as the right. rest to the characters in the original. Gotcha. Um, and of course, anything done with Ripley was stuff that Scott had already set in motion. Right. So. Right. Gotcha. Well, so do you know how James Cameron got the got the job? Do you know how that came about? I do not. Okay. Well, I'll read on. <laughs> <laughs> So executive Larry Wilson sought a writer for the sequel and came across James Cameron's screenplay for The Terminator. A fan of the original Alien, Cameron was interested in crafting a sequel and centered a self-imposed seclusion to brainstorm a concept for the Alien sequel. After four days, Cameron produced an initial 45-page treatment, although the Fox management put the film on hiatus as some disliked the pitch and they felt that Alien had not generated enough profit to really warrant a sequel. A scheduling conflict with actor Arnold Schwarzenegger caused filming of The Terminator to be delayed by nine months because Schwarzenegger was filming Conan the Destroyer. That allowed Cameron additional time to write a script for Aliens. While filming The Terminator, Cameron wrote 90 pages for Aliens, and although the script was not finished, Fox's new president, Larry Gordon, was impressed and told him that 
if, and there was a big if there, the Terminator turned out to be a success, he would then allow Cameron to direct Aliens. So, of course, history shows the Terminator was a big success. And uh, so Cameron and his partnering, producing partner, Gail Ann Hurd, who was also romantically involved with, were given approval to direct and produce the sequel to Alien, scheduled for a 1986 release. Cameron was enticed by the opportunity to create a new world and opted not to follow the same formula as Alien, but to create a worthy combat sequel focused, quote-unquote, more on terror, less on horror. It's interesting to know that Terminator was the deciding factor. And even in one thing I saw, it said that he was actually trying out some things while filming Terminator, expecting to use those same elements in Aliens uh, if he got the chance to direct it. So he was pretty cocky kind of going in. But I also did read there were a couple, he had a couple of uh, ideas that did not go over very well. Like he wanted to do a swords and sandals type of picture, but still in space. Um, and I can't remember the other one. The other one was, it wasn't Marines. It was like another breed of aliens that were going to fight against those aliens. So he had some kind of... Like predators? Perhaps? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking about that when I was doing the research for this. Like, we, we kind of talked about Alien a little bit during our Predator podcast uh, because they were kind of hoping to replicate the success from Aliens with Predator. They came out basically a year apart, so. Yeah, and you can definitely see that. Uh, I think with watching Predator so recently and then yeah. watching this one, there's a lot of similarities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It almost, I mean, I still prefer Predator, I think, over the two. Um, but there's definitely some, some strong similarities there. Um, especially like the, you know, the group of commandos, the group of Marines, the heavy, you know, uh, testosterone for, you know, for some of the, more so in Predator, but, uh, but definitely the fight. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Definitely more so in Predator because in this movie, the, the machismo is, completely shot down the moment that <laughs> really? the alien arrives. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, once again, but but both, you know, overconfident commandos, overconfident Marines taking on a threat that they really were not, they had all the machinery but were being outsmarted by. And so that's the real, you know, uh, similar plot line of both that's very evident that I could tell, so... Which, of course, Cameron has stated that uh, he did that in this movie as a direct representation of Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Uh, it was kind yeah. of his his underlying uh, political message there. Yeah, so, which all great, honestly, all great sci-fi movies, uh, if they're com- you know commenting on the culture of the time, right? That that's what you know, I mean. War of the Worlds, uh, the day the Earth stood still. Um, all of those, you know, they're they're focusing on the events of the day, of the time, uh, advances in technology, all that stuff. And right. So that's what makes them so good. Right. So, do you think Sigourney Weaver was uh, excited to jump back into the role of Ridley for Aliens? I do not. <laughs> I actually, I actually do know a little trivia about that. All right. I well, think she actually became the highest paid female actress of the day because of this movie oh yeah well yeah i think well it wasn't so much what she got on the front end it's that she added to get a percentage of the profits 
which basically netted her about two two $2.4 million dollars uh, in the first, you know, in the first year. So she, she definitely got a better deal on this one <laughs> than she did on the yeah. first one. So, well, cause I do know that, uh, this was one of those issues where, um, I think James Cameron had asked, you know, is, is Sigourney Weaver available in the studio? It was like, yeah, you're good. You know, write it with Ripley. Right. Uh, because uh, I, I believe the original plan was to do like a like most horror movies do. Mm-hmm. You kill off the survivor from the previous movie at the beginning of right, the sequel. Right, right. And so the original plan was to do that, but James Cameron didn't want to do it. Yeah. And so he said, you know, hey, um, you know, I, I want to write this with centered around Ripley. Yeah. And they said, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And they actually hadn't made a deal with Sigourney Weaver. Right, yet. right, exactly. And so by the time... So everything was ready, and now Sergoni Weaver had all the cards on her side. And so, from what I heard, is that she was like the first female to make a million dollars uh, on a movie, yeah, uh, for salary. And so, hey, but it, every, it was, every penny of it was worth it. She's the best part of this movie. Oh, ex- exactly. Yeah, and I think there, at one point, like you said, at one point, they went to Cameron and said, "Oh, yeah, we uh, we actually didn't." She hasn't signed a contract to do a sequel, and we're not sure we really want to pay her to do the sequel, so can you write a story without her? And he was like, nope, if she's not in it, I'm I'm backing out the deal, taking my script and going somewhere else. And uh, that kind of pushed them back, you know, that got them back at the negotiation table with Sigourney Weaver. And, uh, you know, I guess she has a lot to thank him for that, because I don't think they would have paid that much money if he would have... If he wouldn't have said, I'm not making this movie without her. But, you know, give him credit. That was the story he wanted to tell. He really wanted to, you know, grow her story. So we got Sigourney Weaver, who's returning. So we'll talk about the rest of the cast. So Cameron actually went to the United Kingdom because he wanted to hire actors who had or could imitate American accents. Because I think they were going to be shooting most of it in England. Uh, After over 3,000 individuals were unsuccessfully auditioned... (laughs) American actors were chosen instead, including three who had previously worked with James Cameron on The Terminator, that being Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, and Michael Bean. So this is one of the two films in which Michael Bean and Bill Paxton play roles where they're on the same team. They're both Marines in this movie, and four years later, they were teammates on Navy SEALs in 1990. In Tombstone in 1993, seven years later, they're enemies, Bean as uh, Johnny Ringo. Such a yeah, and Paxton as Morgan Earp. They also appear together in The Terminator and The Lords of Discipline. I don't know much about The Lords of Discipline. But yeah, I had I didn't put that together when I was watching it about Michael Bean and uh, uh, Bill Paxton together. And I think because Michael Bean, Paxton, you know, he's he's memorable in whatever he does. But, but, uh, but yeah, Bean... Him as Johnny Ringo is so different than any other character he's played. I almost forget that's him in that role in Tombstone. I know this, that's a 90s movie we're not going to talk about, but I agree that's one of my all-time favorite movies of all time. So, oh, yeah. uh, But definitely, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. I've actually got two uh, other co-hosts of the podcast previous I found out have never seen Tombstone, so we're working out a day where oh. we're all, all going to watch it together. It's like, I have to be there when you watch it for the first time because... It's awesome. So, <laughs> so the Michael Bean, you def, 
instantly see him in this movie and you immediately think of Reese from Terminator. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a very similar parallel, very similar character in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But other than that, no, I agree. There's a lot of other things Michael Bean has done in his career where he just, he, he acts differently, he looks differently. Um, but I don't know, though. I still, even, even his Hicks... Mm-hmm. Um, who's probably the most developed of the Marine characters? It's still flat. I yeah, mean, that, that was my that's my one negative about this movie is that I do not care about anybody <laughs> except for Ripley. Yeah. and Newt. Yeah, and that's oh it. yeah, and I think I think that's somewhat intentional. I don't think Cameron really wanted you to be as emotionally attached to the others. Um, I think the core of the story is uh, Ripley and Newt, so I do get that. Um, but yeah, but Michael Bean actually came in at the last minute. He was actually replacing James Remar, who was originally cast. And uh, there were some reports that said he was let go because of quote-unquote creative differences. But he later said that he actually had been arrested for drug possession and got kicked got kicked off the set. So uh, Bean came in at the last minute to fill that role, fill in that role. So And he was coming right off of filming or you know or doing stuff with terminator so he probably still had that kind of character still in his in his uh uh, in his mind so but but you know you mentioned newt the little girl she was actually the most difficult role to cast school children were auditioned but many of them had acted in commercials and were accustomed to smiling after saying their lines uh hen who was from atwater california uh was chosen out of 500 children for the role Although she had no previous acting experience, she received a Saturn Award for Best Performance by a Younger Actor, but chose not to pursue an acting career and became a teacher. Um, so she didn't do any other movies after this. No, very similar to uh, the guy that played uh, uh, Charlie in Willy Wonka. Oh, he yeah. On the movie, like a dairy farmer. Yeah, yeah. And kind of the same thing with the uh, the boy that played Danny in The Shining, one of our other podcasts we talked about as well, because he didn't right, yeah. do any acting out of that too. So, uh, and she actually said that she that James Cameron wanted her to watch Alien before they started watching Aliens, and she actually thought it was quite funny. She thought it was she was not scared <laughs> at all. She she took it as a comedy. So, uh, I thought that was interesting. So, with this being more of an ensemble cast, any characters stand out as a favorite for you besides? Ripley and Newt, I guess you kind of mentioned that already. Well, no, but here's another, what was crazy was, from watching it, you know, when I was much younger on the TV edits and whatnot, Right. I really thought Bishop had a bigger role. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Like, I remember Bishop so vividly uh, from my previous watches of this movie, and then yeah. I watch it this time, and I'm going... Wow, he's either in a lab or he's outside <laughs> calling the ship for right. most of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, well, I can't say the same thing because I didn't remember him as much. But, um, but yeah, when you say that, he really isn't in a lot of this. Uh, he's definitely not in any of the action scenes until the very end. But, yeah, like I said, he, he, you know, half the time you forget he's even in it until he pops up. Like I said, he's in the lab or somewhere else. So uh, that that's <laughs> that's pretty interesting.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's let's dig into the movie a little bit. So we'll talk about, I guess, favorite scenes or most iconic scenes. Um, of course, I'll let you go first. So any scenes that stand out as favorites or iconic for uh, you? I mean, the, uh, the, the scene where Newt and Ripley are trapped in the lab. Yeah. With the... With the uh, the, fa- the, the face suckers, yeah, whatever, whatever the official name that was given to them, right? Uh, yeah, that that's a great scene. Mm-hmm. I love that. So much happens in that scene. Yeah, uh, you know, that's even the the real big reveal that Paul Reiser is a villain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with that scene, because I love that little turn where you see Ripley yelling into the surveillance camera. And then they show it mm-hmm. as nobody's paying attention. And, you're, and it's, that's a typical, you know, especially like a horror movie trope. Right. But then to see Paul Reiser actually turn the monitor <laughs> off. Yeah. I mean, just add a little thing. I, yeah, I would say just, I would say that is my favorite scene. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the, the two scenes that I remember that were the most iconic for me when they came up is the scene where Bishop does the knife trick over... Uh, Hicks's hands. Uh, it is Hicks, right? That's the Bill Paxton's character. I'm pretty sure that's right. So uh, Hudson, yeah. Oh, yeah, Hudson, not Hicks. Hicks Hudson. is Bean, right? Yeah. Hicks is Bean. Right. Yeah. So, so when Bishop puts his hand over Hudson's hand and does the knife trick, and of course now watching it again, you can totally tell that it's sped up, like that he didn't do that in real time. Uh, but as a you know as a young kid, that was I was so mesmerized that, and also it's one of those things where it's like. That is so cool, but there's no way I'd ever try that because I'd probably chop a finger off. Uh, well, and that's that's one of the things why I say I remember Bishop so much because I remember that, and I even remember when I was in school, we used to do it with like a pencil. pencil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that from school as well. So, um, so there's that scene, and then of course, you know, the scene that was totally emblazoned in my mind and why I thought I'd seen it when I was much younger is the scene at the end with Ripley when she gets in the actual, um, not the, the mech suit. Yeah. The met suit and, and she's battling the, the mother alien, I guess, or yeah, the, the queen, the queen. Yes. So, uh, so that, that was so iconic for me as a kid. Like I, that was, you know, like who would have thought that you could do that? I mean, that was like one of the coolest things, you know, you could see as once again, like a preteen kid, uh, back back then, so and and that and watching again, watching that whole final sequence with the Queen is still, you know, pretty exhilarating and still very you know high adrenaline, you know, good action suspense uh, scenes. So, but uh, but yeah, I do enjoy. I did enjoy the scene uh, with the face suckers as well with Ripley and Newt. Well, you know, the power suit was was pretty much the Chekhov's gun 
in this movie. Yeah. Because you know you see it at the very beginning, and right. you know that she can she can use it, right? And so you're like, okay, well that's coming back later, <laughs> right? Um, but that was another thing that I couldn't help but notice. So she wakes up and finds out that she's been frozen for fifty-seven years. Right. Right. How much time has passed since she woke up? Because she knows how to use that mech suit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the scene. There's one scene where they're like looking at, I think, like blueprints of right. the facility, right. and she's controlling the, mm-hmm. the screen and everything. And I'm going, has technology just not changed that much in fifty-seven <laughs> years? Is right. it the same technology she remembered, or? Like, what's up with that? Yes. Yeah. Ripley's so good with all this technology. Yeah. I, you know, I, I honestly, I didn't think about that. But, of course, not not have, not have watching Alien right before watching this one, I, I wouldn't have put those kind of things together. Even about how much, how long she'd been asleep. Um, I think I know they referenced it early on. But some interesting trivia about some of the other scenes in the movie as we... Uh, move move along. So Lance Henriksen wanted to wear double pupil contact lenses for a scene where Bishop is working in the lab on a microscope and gives a scary look at one of the Marines. He came to set with the lenses on, but after a test, James Cameron decided he did not need to wear them because he was acting the character with just the right amount of creepiness already. Cameron later said that it made Bishop actually look scarier than the aliens with the uh, <laughs> contact. So I would have liked to have seen you know a picture of that to uh to figure out how that worked so but you know and of course we talked about the queen and we, we i guess we need to talk about the special effects of this of course we and we kind of mentioned this in the the predator podcast of course stan winston worked on this one with uh james cameron um and james cameron really kind of sketched a lot of stuff uh for the movie uh specifically the queen uh you know the queen alien so he did collaborate with Stan Winston on that based on initial painting Cameron had created at the start of the project. The full-size queen puppet was actually too big to fit into the elevator used at the end. For the shot where she is seen there, her tail was removed, and yet the back of the elevator still had to be opened to accommodate the prop. Smoke effects, dark lighting, and a black curtain at the back had to obscure all of that. So, Yeah, but you don't notice it. No. I was actually, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it doesn't go through your mind when she comes out of the elevator that, wait, she's too big for that elevator. Right. <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't go through your mind. You're no. just like, oh my goodness, she used an elevator. Right, like, right. Let, let's think about that. Because that's what's so great about this sequel, too, is it does what a, a good sequel should do. It expands on right. the universe. Right, You know, not only did we get literally aliens... You know, we <laughs> yeah. got several instead of just the one. Right. But we got to find out, like, very early on, Ripley even asks, there were hundreds of eggs. And then she she asks, where did the eggs come from? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And so to find out where the eggs came from. Mm-hmm. And to, to also think about that the alien that's in the first movie, mm-hmm. if you really think about it, that alien is a newborn. Mm-hmm. That alien had, you know, only been alive for 24 hours. Right, right. Whereas these aliens had been on that colony for weeks, months mm-hmm. even. 
And um, you got to think that they've had time to learn how, I mean, they cut the power. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they've learned, and it's it's almost like the, the raptors in Jurassic Park. Yeah. They're not just monsters, but mm. they actually are intelligent. Right, right. Yeah, and, and going to the effects, I there were a few scenes where I was like, are those people in suits? Because they it kind of, in some points it kind of looks like it, but then it's not because there's too many there's too many attachments. So to learn that there was a lot of it was puppets and people in suits kind of working together, it's really amazing how how they were able to do that. Um, and of course, good editing with the quick cuts, you know, don't allow you to you know kind of focus on them too long, which once again makes them even more scary because you don't know where they're gonna where they're coming from. Uh, but I, I was very impressed with the effects and even, you know, being, you know, th- 30 years old, they still hold up really well, even in an HD format, you know, as I was watching it, um, it didn't seem that dated in watching it. And especially knowing that it wasn't CGI where, you know, it would make it look even more, cr- it was practical effects and not CGI. So, yeah. No, I think the, the the only effects in this movie that don't hold up are a lot of the rear project, rear projection shots that they did. Yeah. Some of the backgrounds and the explosions and whatnot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but no, the alien look, uh, a lot of the... I mean, I I have a little bit... And not to toot my own horn, but a little <laughs> bit more of an eye for this. Right. But there was a, I could tell there was a lot of forced, uh, forced perspective shots okay. to where... Uh, they were using a model or whatnot, but they were using it with the live action. Oh, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. shooting them at yeah. different layers, so it, it looked like things were the, the right sizes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was but, pretty That was pretty evident in the scene where uh, the aliens kill the two pilots that are moving the ship, I guess, from the port when uh, yeah. the, the crew is somewhere else. I, I can't remember this. It's kind of in the middle. But as it's coming towards them and explodes, I could tell that was kind of, as you said, there's, you know, almost a rear projection uh, screen behind yeah. them. But uh, still held up pretty well, though. Yeah, but even some of the sets, uh, you know, in order to make them look bigger than they actually were, mm-hmm. uh, I could tell that they were using some forced perspective, you know, which, which is something that... Uh, which also added to like the claustrophobia mm-hmm. of a lot of, which I know that uh, Ridley Scott did in the first movie, where you go back and watch it, and you'll notice there's a lot of things in front of the actors. Yeah, there's a lot of things right there in front of you trying to watch. You know, there's, there's like, well, there's a desk here, or mm-hmm. there's a, you know, a, a, a pipe or whatnot. It feels like it's in your way, <laughs> but it it helps it helps for that claustrophobia, especially in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this one, it was fun how they would go from this big, vast room to all of a sudden this room that felt a lot smaller. Right, right. And, you know, and as they're they're discovering the alien, it just feels like they're getting, you know, wedged. Oh yeah, into to that location. Yeah. Um. So, so no, but the the visual effects I think still hold up. But you know, Stan Winston, Winston. Pretty much anything he does with his practical effects. Uh, I, I do know a story. I'm a big fan of Jurassic Park. I do know the story of uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, asking Stan Winston about to help create the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And there's the 
the Brachiosaurus scene, the famous Brachiosaurus scene, right? Where Grant and the kids are up in the tree, and it comes over, and of course that's a giant puppet. Yeah. And uh, Stan Winston, you know, was like, I, I can't make something that big. <laughs> and Steven Spielberg literally looked at him and he said, "You made a fourteen foot tall uh, alien." <laughs> Right, the queen and the aliens. You can make me a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, I guess he'd kind of forgotten about that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so good deal. So we talked a little bit about the special edition. Um, this was actually one of the first films for which a special edition with added footage was available for home video. This version became so popular that most fans and director James Cameron now consider it to be the definitive cut of the film. It was even available on DVD before the theatrical version. Contrary to most films with special editions, where only the original theatrical cut is ever broadcast on television, Alien Special Edition is usually the one shown on TV. So if you saw it on TV, you might have seen the the extended cut and didn't even know. Um, So the special edition, as as we mentioned, includes 17 minutes of extra scenes. Uh, some of those scenes are Ripley discussing her daughter. Um, yeah, Ripley discussing her daughter with Burke. Ripley is demoted by the board. Newt's parents discovering the abandoned alien ship on LV four twenty six. A tour through the Salako prior to the Marines waking up. Hudson bragging about his uh, sentry guns repelling two alien raids. The Marines theorizing about an alien leader as the source of the eggs. And Hicks and Ripley exchanging first names. Also included is the scene on LV-426 where a child rides a big wheel similar to the one ridden in the Terminator, which James Cameron, of course, also directed. So, so yeah, um, I had the option of watching either the theatrical or the extended, and I decided to go ahead and watch the theatrical, number one, because it was shorter <laughs> for the time that I had to watch it. Uh, but I'll probably go back. I think, I think I'm going to go back and watch Alien, and then I'm going to watch Aliens again with the extended cut and kind of see how the other scenes uh, add to it. I know Sigourney Weaver was very upset with the theatrical cut with taking out the scene where she realizes that her daughter had died. Um, yeah, that seems so important to yeah. this because it makes the Newt uh, storyline so much well, more significant. Right, right. So uh, when So when they... When uh, Cameron put that in the extended cut, she was she felt much better about uh, about the film as a whole. So, but I, I agree with you. I'm not sure why that had to be cut. Um, aside from, I think they were just saying they were trying to keep it shorter and trying to keep the pacing a little bit faster. Um, and just one of those. I think there were there was that scene and something else that Cameron really did not want to cut, but he kind of felt pressure to have to cut those scenes to keep it at a certain length and, uh, and, uh, and for pacing. So, but I'll definitely check out the extended version and, and to see those scenes, uh, see how it affects it. But once again, I enjoyed it, uh, by itself anyway. So any, any other scenes or trivia you want to bring up before we start wrapping it up? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about too much more trivia. I did find it interesting, uh, cause you know, it's now kind of in the, the pop culture lexicon that these aliens are called xenomorphs. Okay. But it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, everybody forgets that Jason is not in the first Friday the 13th. <laughs> right. Xenomorph was not, not used in the original alien movie. It's mm-hmm. this movie. 
is the first time they call the aliens xenomorphs. Right. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. Um, but, uh... Well, spoiler alert uh, if you haven't seen Friday the 13th. Sorry, we're a little late on that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you could do that movie. I think that one came out in 1980. Yeah, so. yeah. Yep, some, um, somewhere down the line. But, uh... But no, I mean, again, great quotes. Uh, you know, you've got the Vas- Vasquez uh, being asked, you know, have you ever been mistaken for a man? Oh, yeah. And she says, no, have you? Yeah, yeah um, that was a great line. It's great. And I didn't realize, I had, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, you know, what have these other people been in? And I looked it up and realized that the woman playing Vasquez, mm-hmm. uh, first off, not Hispanic. Right, so right. So I was... So thrown by that. Um, in fact, doesn't even have brown eyes. <laughs> right, uh, right. She has blue eyes in her life, and she was the woman who played, I believe, it was John Connor's, I guess, adopted mom or whoever she was supposed to be. Okay. Terminator Two. Yeah, I knew she was in Terminator Two. I don't know which which role she had, but yeah. But yeah, yeah. she said she dyed her hair dark, uh, dark brown, I think, or black, and then changed her eye color and then darkened her skin. Uh, but yeah, so that was that was interesting. Well, she pulled it off well. Yeah. Um, and then of course we right, mentioned. I'm sorry, you mentioned Paul Reiser, who of course plays the the bad guy in this. But of course he's forever in my memory from Mad About You with Helen Hunt, and then of course Helen Hunt starred with Bill Paxton in Twister, another great '90s movie. Uh-huh. But <laughs> so had had a little degrees of separation. There you go. There you go. But I yeah, Paul Reiser was great in this. Uh, and I want to say he worked with Cameron and something else, but I can't think of what it was. So it's it's a it's eluding uh, me at this time. So, but um, yeah, no, I again a lot of the quotes just stick out. You know, game over, man, game over. Yeah, uh, which which, which, which uh, Bill Paxton ad libbed that line. A few lines he ad libbed, yeah. and oh, then. I'm sure he and uh, one fun uh, one fun fact that I read today that I thought was perfect because I just watched this movie a couple weeks ago, but Galaxy Quest, the uh, the role of uh, oh I can't think of his name now, uh, the one that's crying the whole movie about because he's the one that always got always gets killed. He was the he was the MC at the Sam convention. Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. So Sam Rockwell's character was based on. Bill Paxton's character Hudson, like a you know more exaggerated version of him uh, for Galaxy Quest. So I thought that was pretty funny, especially because Sigourney Weaver was in Galaxy Quest as well. So I thought that was fun. Yeah. All right. So uh, at the box office, eagerly anticipated by fans following the success of Alien, Aliens of course was released in North America on July eighteenth, nineteen eighty six. With a weekend gross of $10,052,000, it was number one at the box office for four consecutive weeks, grossing $85 million. Aliens was the fifth highest grossing film of 1986 behind Top Gun, Crocodile Dundee, The Karate Kid Part 2, and Back to School. None of which we've talked about on the 80s flick podcast. Yep. And, uh... So the film's worldwide total gross has been stated as high as 180 million, making Aliens one of the highest grossing R-rated films at the time. But in 1992, Fox noted the worldwide gross was only 157 million, which still is anything to sneeze out. So, but uh, 
Uh, interesting enough, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 97% on the tomato meter with a 94% audience score, so that's pretty high. But on IMDb, it's got an 8.3 out of 10 with an 84% on Metacritic. So you fall more Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb on this one. Is it a 90 or an 80 for you? Uh, I, w- I would probably lean more than 90. Uh, you know, again, it's 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 classic 80s um, sci-fi action. Yeah. You know, I'm almost like you. I, part of me kind of wants to go back and watch the the extended cut mm-hmm. and just watch it again. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I think it's somewhere, but I don't think it's as high as a 97. Um, yeah, I would I, agree. I would say like low 90s, upper 80s for me. I mean, I, once again, it's it's iconic. It's groundbreaking. There's cer- definitely certain aspects of it that are fantastic, but it's it's still not one of the my it's not one of my rewatchable films that I watch, you know, pretty frequently. So, uh, but still, well worth watching, and, and glad I watched it again for the podcast. So. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some accolades before we wrap up. Aliens was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Actress, Best Original Score, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Art Direction. It won two awards for Sound Effects, Editing, and Visual Effects. Sigourney Weaver received her first Academy Award nomination for Best Actress, and although she did not win, it was considered a landmark nomination for an actress to be considered for a science fiction-slash-horror film a genre which previously had given little recognition. So I did think that was interesting. I, I didn't know that she was nominated, but I can see why she was. Uh, definitely was definitely uh, well-deserved. Uh, Aliens received four BAFTA Award nominations and one in the category of visual effects. It won eight Saturn Awards in the film categories of actress for Sigourney Weaver, supporting actor for Bill Paxton, supporting actress for Jeanette Goldstein, uh, performance by a younger actor for Carrie Hinn, Direction for James Cameron, writing for James Cameron, special effects, Stan Winston, I'm sorry, Stan Winston and the LA Effects Group, and science fiction film. Uh, these are pretty cool. Time Magazine named Aliens it's in its best of 86 list, calling it a technically awesome blend of the horror, sci-fi, and service comedy genres. In 2007, Entertainment Weekly named Aliens as the second best action movie of all time behind, take a guess. Terminator 2. Die Hard. I thought uh, you were going to get that one. That was... I was just thinking, I was thinking James Cameron. <laughs> no, no. All, yeah, so... Uh, oh, yeah, Die Hard. I should have. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to set you up for that one. didn't work. So... I don't know. I feel bad. I had James Cameron on my mind. <laughs> it's all good. In a Rotten Tomatoes analysis of the top 100 science fiction films, Aliens ranks 10th among the best-reviewed films of the genre. In 2004, Aliens was ranked 35th on Bravo's 100 scariest movie moments for the scene in which Ripley and Newt are attacked by the facehuggers. The original, a- yeah, the original Alien was ranked second for the chest buster scene. And then, let's see, IGN ranked it third in its top 25 action films of all time, stating that there won't be an alien movie so scary as... There- nah, say it again. Stating that there won't be an alien movie as scary or exciting as this one made ever again. Empire voted it in the greatest film sequel of all time. So, yeah, lots of accolades. That greatest film sequel of all time. Yeah. I don't know about that. I, I might, yeah. That might be a debate there. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't rank it up there with that, but, it you know, once again, 
I mean, it might be in the top. It might be in the top. But, I mean, you're comp- whenever you talk about great, uh, you know, when, whenever you're talking about sequels being better than the original, yeah. I, I'm sorry, my first argument is always going to be Godfather. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Godfather Part 2 being so much better than the original. Mm-hmm. Um, the same can be said. Same can be said for Empire Strikes Back. Uh, yeah, I mean Superman two. Right. I would make that argument probably, other than the throwing of an S. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think what I. Well, you know what? Uh, no, uh, I was about to say. So I was to say Lord of the Rings, but it's the third one that's the best on that one. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. I mean, it, you could argue that's still the best sequel. It's still a sequel, yeah. Because I was, it's I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking, yeah. even though. We're kind of the minority here, but we both agreed that Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is the best Indiana Jones uh, sequel. Yes. So, uh, actually be- ac- actually better than the original. So, uh, anyway. All right, well, Laramie, I appreciate you joining in on this one. Had a good discussion about Aliens. Uh, do you want to give a little teaser about your next podcasting venture that you're diving into here in the next few weeks sure so uh tim has uh inspired me to start up my own uh podcast uh which will launch in september um still getting things prepared and getting uh episodes ready uh it is called moving panels it is a podcast where we talk about movies and television shows based on inspired by and adapted from the world of comic books I'm a big comic book guy. I love to see when they are turned into movies and television shows. And I especially like to delve into where did uh, some of it come from and whether or not the stories, obviously the characters came from the comics, but how true are they? How true is the story? Is it something the character had faced before in the comics? And so just like with this show, I'll have guests on. I've had uh, Tim will actually be my guest for my first episode. Where we, where we will talk about Superman, a uh, like we talk about with Alien, he couldn't do the first Alien because it's not in the eighties. Well, he couldn't do the first Superman because it's not in the eighties. Right. So, so I brought him in to discuss that one, and uh, so look for it. The there's currently a trailer and an origin of me explaining it in a little bit more uh, detail uh, available now wherever you can get your podcast, yeah. and then the first episode with Tim that is on Superman is scheduled to drop on September 4th. Awesome. And yeah, if you're already on Apple Podcasts, you can go ahead and subscribe so you won't miss that first episode as soon as it drops. So uh, I was uh, very honored to be asked to be on the first podcast uh, episode of that podcast. So excited to hear that one and uh, all the ones to follow. So uh, it's going to be good. Once again, thanks, Larry. appreciate you being a part of this one. Oh, thank you. I, I enjoy doing these Uh, Mostly at night. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini-episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. Also, be on the lookout for our next mini-episode. 
Each mini-episode offers some fun segments about the previous full episode, and will also introduce the next 80s flick we'll be watching and covering in the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.